those of us who have uh, a relationship with Christ, we have a date. And uh, we don't know exactly where he's going to be taking us uh, or what, exactly what it's going to be like. But the good news is that he is going to be there. Now, one of the things about heaven that's very interesting, I, I think sometimes we get a little confused about uh, you know, people that are being prepared and a place that's being prepared, is that um, we, we kind of think that heaven is salvation. Heaven is not salvation. Heaven is a place. Salvation is, is about our condition. You see, uh, you know, we, we, that, with the fall and the sin nature that was passed on to us, and then we individually sinned. And, and, but we, originally, when we were made, we were made to be image bearers of God. We were created in His image. But sin messed that up, where we weren't really bearing His image, not giving glory. And when we are saved, we are restored. Sin is forgiven, washed clean, so that we are able to bear that and reflect that image clearly. And we are told in the Scriptures that we are being formed into the likeness of His Son. We are being restored. That is salvation. Heaven is just the place where people who are being restored get to go to. And, uh, and it's a very special place. And so I want to talk about that place today. And, uh, and I know that some of us might have some anxiousness about that place. Like someone might have some anxiousness, anxiousness before a date. And so uh, let's, uh, I want to go to Jesus' words first in John 14. And I want to look at his words because he was speaking about going to this place and he was talking about our anxious hearts. And look here, John 14, verses 1 through 4. If you've got a Bible, you can turn there. Also, you can look at the screens. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. In my Father's house, there are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I'm going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I'm going. Now, what I want to talk about today is that place, the place that Jesus is talking about that he's going to and the place that he's preparing for you and me, the place that he wants you to be there with him. All right. Now, Jesus, he said these words over 2000 years ago. That's a little while ago. So the preparations have been going on quite a while, haven't they? I mean, when you think about it, uh, you know, how long did it take the Lord to create this heaven and this earth? You know, the heaven, the stars and the sky we see and the earth that we're walking on. How long did it take? Six days, six days. Now, I'm not good with math, but 365 times 2,000, that's a big number. It's a whole lot of days, and that's a lot of days of the Lord preparing this special place for his prepared people. Now, last week, that's what we looked at. We looked at the change that God is working in us and will work in us in that twinkling of an eye moment when we are going to be transformed into the likeness of his son. We are a prepared people. But today I want us to look at the prepared place and why that place is so special and why you want to be there. Now, I want you to know that in the scriptures, over 90 times we're told about the kingdom of heaven. Over 90 times we're told about the kingdom of heaven. 
And with that, those descriptions of heaven, it's usually about how the kingdom of heaven operates, uh, what the Lord is doing, what God is doing. Uh, and, and, but there's not many of those that give actual description of the physical place of, of heaven and what it's going to be like. But there are a few. And so, and that, those few are enough to let us know that we don't want to miss out on. The Apostle Paul says of God's preparations of heaven that no eye has seen, no ear has heard, and no mind has conceived what God's prepared for those who love him. Now, you could end it right there with that sentence and that verse, and that's where I almost accidentally did when I was looking through scriptures about heaven and this place that God's preparing. It's almost like, oh, yeah, well, there isn't much we were going to know about this, and so we could, you know, just, just know it's going to be like a, you know, a date, and you don't know where you're going. You're just going to show up. And, and, but there's this little conjunction word at the end of that verse, and it's but, and it's a great big but. And if Jason was here, he would giggle when he said that. Um, but God has revealed it to us by his Spirit. What has he revealed to us? He has revealed what the preparations of this place are going to be like. He's revealed some of this. So what God has prepared is mind-blowing. It's inconceivable. But yet we can have a sneak peek, a revealing by the Spirit of God. So even though there's not many explicit descriptions about heaven in the Scriptures, I believe that the Spirit of God within us will testify to the truth of what we do read and hear from the Scriptures. All right? So some of the most descriptive words of heaven are found in Revelation. Now, Revelation is a book that has many symbols and metaphorical passages right alongside very literal passages. And so when you read it, sometimes it's kind of confusing where he's going from metaphorical to literal to symbolic, and and sometimes that's a little crazy. So again, the verses that I share with you, let's see what the Spirit might reveal whether those verses are metaphorical, they're symbolic, or literal, all right? No matter what it is, I believe that right here, right now, as we read these verses, the Spirit can reveal something to you and to me about heaven, all right? So here we go. Let me start with just a big picture, a blueprint of sorts of where God is going with this prepared place and what is so special about it. Revelation chapter 7, the Apostle John He gets a a peek into heaven, and it's seemingly outside of time, uh, while it also seems to be of the future. And he says this, After this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count, from every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and in front of the land. We're going to stop right there. First of all, in God's blueprint for heaven, this prepared place, He wants a lot of people there. And there's going to be a lot of people there beyond count. And from this multitude, there's going to be represented in this multitude every nation, tribe, people, and language. I want you to know, nationality, ethnicity, language, people groups will not disappear when we get to heaven. It's not going to be a race. God feels like that's an important part of our humanity, and it's not going to be race. In fact, these are the very things that God delights in and brings him glory and honor. So when we see the variety of people here on earth, 
God is going to have that variety of people in heaven. And now you may worry about that person in that country where the gospel hasn't been heard everywhere, but don't fear. It's going to happen because we have a little snapshot on the future of heaven and every nation, every people group, every language is going to hear the gospel and there's going to be some that are going to respond and they're going to be represented there in heaven. And I want you to know in that goal to reach every tribe, and every tongue and every nation, that might be a goal that is fulfilled in our lifetimes, folks. The Great Commission might be fulfilled before you and I die or leave this planet. And that's exciting news. Now, this multinational multitude is really special. It's really special that all these people, all different varieties are going to be represented. But it's not what makes heaven really special. And it's not what makes it especially special. Now, if you don't know where I'm going with this, don't give it away to your neighbor. We're, we're going to get there. But I'm, I'm kind of leading you on, all right? Okay, here, so here we go. We're going to read a little more from Revelation 7. Now, we see that this multitude is people who have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Now, there's some figure of speech there, but, but we kind of know what that means. I mean, we know that John the Baptist said that Jesus is the Lamb of God to take the, the sin of the world away. And, and so we know this is Jesus. We know that these people, if they wash their robes white, it means that that sin has stained us and we're washing the sin away by trusting in Jesus and what he did on the cross where his blood was shed. So we, we understand this. But they're before Jesus. He is the lamb. They are before the throne of God and they will never hunger again, never thirst again. They won't be scorched by the heat of the sun, and the lamb will be their shepherd. Now, that's kind of funny sounding, the lamb. I mean, usually the shepherd leads the sheep. But in this case, the lamb of God, who is also the sacrifice, he's also the priest, but he's also the shepherd. And he's going to be leading us, his sheep. He is the good shepherd. So we see in this place that God has prepared, there is no hunger. There's no thirst. There's no sorrow. It'll be no more. Now, that sounds a little bit different from this place where we live right now, isn't it? Doesn't it? Yeah. I mean, right here in Western North Carolina in Buncombe County, we know from great organizations like Mana Food Bank, we know that there are families that are going hungry right here. We know that there are children that are going without meals and they're showing up at school and they're having a hard time because they're hungry. And so there's a lot, we, we know this is going on. We also know that there's a lot of heartbreak going on right here, right around us. We know because some of us right here have experienced it. Heartbreak and, and sorrow uh, in our own families and uh, our extended families. We know this. This is true. And it's all around us. And so, you know, when, when people talk about heaven on earth, you know, I just go, this ain't it. We're not there and, uh, and what God is describing here is very different from this place that we're in right now. But the place God is preparing is described as a place of perfection. A place of perfection. Where there's no hunger, no sorrow. But even with this, even with no hunger, no sorrow, this isn't what makes heaven so special. There's something else that makes heaven especially special. But this does remind me, it does remind me that there was a time in history when things were perfect. 
Y'all remember what, what that place was and that time was? Yeah, Garden of Eden. Yeah. And, and if, you were, if someone were to ask you, could you describe what you think the Garden of Eden was like? What, what kind of things would you say? And you can say it right now. Say it out loud. Perfect, beautiful. Mm-hmm. What? I, I didn't quite catch that, but... Okay. What else? What else? No, no work. I'm not sure about that. Work was a part of the garden in the beginning, but uh, maybe, maybe no, no, uh, no toil. Not, not. We're not by the sweat of our brow kind of work. Yeah. Something down here. Peaceful. Did I hear peaceful? Yeah. What? No sickness, and you know about that. Fighting, fighting cancer and fighting, trying to get your immune system back together. Yeah, that's something that uh, we, we desire. You know, when we talk about the Garden of Eden, there, there, is, there is a longing sometimes in us. And, and you know, it's funny when we, when we talk about that place and there's a wistfulness, there's always something in us that knows. I mean, even people who, who may not believe in a Garden of Eden will go, there's something not right here today. This isn't the way it should be. I mean, there shouldn't be sorrow, pain, hunger, and sickness. Why is it that we, we have something in us that knows that? That this shouldn't be the way it is. This should be different. That could be different. I think it's written on our hearts. God has written something on our hearts. You know, uh, ever since the fall, men and women have been dreaming of returning to Eden. Philosophers have written how to perfect society. And in the 20th century was a big experiment in governments and people trying to do that and perfect society through government and leadership. And there was a lot of failed experiments in that and a lot of disillusionment. And there's been poets and writers and songwriters who express the ache in our hearts for that perfect place. But you know what? The truth is, is that we are not going to be going back to Eden. But we will be going forward, and we will be going forward to another perfect place. And it's going to be a perfect place that God has designed. See, what he started with is where we're going to end up again, only it's going to be a garden and a city. He started with a garden, he's going to end with a city, a perfect place. In Revelation 21, the Apostle John describes that in the end, he sees a new heaven and a new earth for the first Heaven and earth passed away. Now, I know for some of us, that's a little bit, that's a little bit sad. I mean, because some of us, you know, it does say in the scriptures that um, what has been created reveals God's invisible qualities, his nature and power. And some of us, I mean, we live in a beautiful place. We can look around and we can go, man, I see God's hand in this place. I see his design, his handiwork, and it makes us want to worship. And there's some of us, you know, yeah, we're very sensitive to this. You know, Colossians 1.17, he is before all things and in him all things hold together. And there's some people, you know, we look out there and we just go, man, I can just, I can sense God holding this together. It's like all of creation is just reverberating with his power and his presence. And so some of us are very sensitive to this. And then when we hear, well, this earth is going to pass away, I mean, there's a little bit of sadness there. 
But I want you to know, I mean, again, if God has been preparing this place, if Lord Jesus has been preparing this place for over 2,000 years, he only spent six days on this place, only six days, I tell you what, what is it going to be like? What is it going to be like? I think it's going to be something beautiful. One of the things that we we can kind of know from Revelation 21 is this new earth is going to be larger, and there's going to be no ocean upon it. Now, my Annie girl, I know you love sea life and animals. You're crazy about whales and belugas and dolphins and all sorts of things. But I, you know, I I use my imagination, and I kind of wonder about the new creatures in heaven. And, uh, you know, this isn't written anywhere, but I imagine whales going through the air. I imagine fish that don't need oxygenated water, but they can just go anywhere. And they're just, so I can imagine all kinds of beautiful things. And I I know that God can do more than we imagine. So uh, don't don't worry about it too much, Annie. All right. So, uh, but on this new earth, it says in Revelation 21, will be descending out of this new heaven onto this new earth will be a great holy city. Now, what will this city be like? Listen to this. Revelation 21, verses 3 and 4. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men, and he will live with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. No more death. I mean, that, that's a mind flipper I'm trying to grab onto. I mean, can you imagine running into people and they're celebrating their 2000th and 25th birthday? I mean, whoo, that's a lot of candles to blow out. No more pain. I mean, I did some stupid things in high school playing football, and I'm, I'm paying for it now. And, I, you know, it's like I can't imagine living without pain in my back and my neck anymore. And there's some of you struggle with ailments and things like that. And there's people I know that have legs that don't work. And they're imagining what it would be like to have no more pain No more mourning. Again, this place is not like the place we know here. It is different. It is special. But I want you to know, it's not the most special thing about this place. In this prepared place, there is something especially special. And you might might know where I'm going with this, but don't give it away to your neighbor just yet. Now let me tell you more about this heavenly city we will one day dwell in. It says in Revelation that there will be no sun or moon there because the glory of God lights this city. There, uh, you know, that, that is a concept to believe in, uh, to, to understand and try to grasp, you know, no sun or moon. Uh, you know, I look at the sky and I see the splendor of the sun. I see the moon, different kind of splendor, and it's beautiful. It's gorgeous. And I think of all the life that's supported by it, but it's not going to be needed in this city because everything is going to be supported and life is going to be sustained by God himself. And, and, and in this huge city, there are these magnificent gates, 12 gates around this city, but they're never shut. They're never shut because there's nothing dangerous or evil that can come in. And there's no night to fear. I know uh, some of us remember when we were kids, afraid of the dark. Some of you still might be afraid of the dark. Well, I want you to know it's not going to be dark anymore. I, I mean, I can still remember moments when I was a little kid I mean, thinking somebody was in my room pulling the sheets over my head, and I could swear that somebody's finger was running over, those, over the sheets trying to get me. And, uh, and, and, you know, of course, the sheets are the force field. You don't need that force field when you're in heaven because there is no more night, and we're right there in the city of God. There is no more evil there. 
The nations and people groups will walk by God's light and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into the city. That's interesting. That's interesting because on this new earth and where this heavenly city will come down onto this new earth, there's still going to be nations. There's still going to be rulers and kings. Now, we, we kind of got bad ideas about that because there's been a lot of bad kings. There's been a lot of bad rulers. There's been a lot of crazy wars and fighting going on with nations and countries. But I want you to know it's going to be different in this new heaven because every king is going to have his allegiance in the right place. Every king is going to bow down to the king of kings and the Lord of lords, the king, the high king of heaven, Jesus Now, at the center of God's city, it says in Revelation 22, verses 1 through 3, that there is a river. It is the river of the water of life, and it's flowing from the throne of God and from the throne of the Lamb down the middle of this great city. It's as if life is pouring out. And in fact, didn't Jesus say he was the water of life? That if anyone thirsts, they should come after him and drink from him. Well, there it is represented in this city. And on each side of this river, there's a tree. The tree of life is putting down its roots, this massive tree spanning over a river, putting its root down on either side. And in this city, without a sun or seasons, this tree is yielding fruit every month from the tree of life. A garden in the middle of the city without sun or moon and a sense of time or seasons is still carried on as this tree bears fruit now the city around this garden and this river is massive what is described 1400 miles wide 1400 miles long now i have family that i go visit in kansas and it's a thousand miles from here to there so just keep driving all the way to the colorado kansas border and there you got 1400 miles going east to west north to south i haven't quite figured that one out but I imagine it's probably from the point of Texas down in Corpus Christi all the way up to probably the southern edges of Canada. I mean, that is a massive city. That's hard for me to grasp. And, and then the other thing that's a little crazier is it's 1,400 miles high. Now, I was, I was scratching my head on this one for a long time, always thinking about this, 1,400 miles. But again, this new earth obviously must be much larger because 1,400 miles high in our earth uh, would be out of the atmosphere into a place where, you know, uh, you you couldn't really live. But um, this new earth must be much larger. The other thing is I I talked with architects. Architects always think differently than the rest of us do. And uh, this architect was a believer, and he's here in our church. And and uh, he said, well, don't think of it like a cube, Shannon. You're thinking, you know, like a Rubik's Cube or something. And he said, think more like a pyramid or a mountain, 1,400 miles high. And I was like, oh, yeah, that makes sense. And it even made sense, you know, when you think about the references to uh, this uh, city of the Lord. It's also sometimes referred to as Mount Zion, a mountain, uh, or the hill of the Lord, who may ascend the hill of the Lord. So that made more sense to me, and I could picture that. But you know, whether it's metaphorical, symbolic, or literal, either way, what is communicated is a massive, beautiful place. And in this place, God has prepared it for those who love Him. And, but those things, a massive, beautiful city, with a tree of life, river, life flowing down it, 
1,400 miles, 14 miles, that's still not what makes this place special. You know what makes this place especially special? Most of you know it. You, you know what it makes this prepared place for God's people special. It's the Lord God himself. He's what makes this place very special. Who is there in the midst of the great multitude who, who have washed their robes in the white and the blood of the Lamb of God? That's right, God. He is there. It's the Lord Jesus who is it that they are going to be looking at as he wipes away the tears from their eyes? They're going to be looking at face-to-face Jesus. That's who's going to be there. And when this heavenly city of perfection comes down out of the new heaven onto a new earth, who is it that we will be dwelling with in that city? The Lord God himself. Now the dwelling of God is with men, and he will live with them They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. You know what? There is no temple. There is no church building because we're right there with God himself in this heavenly city. You know what? Do you see what's so special about the place God prepared for those whose names are written in the book of life? See, the place place is amazing, but what's really special is the face we will see there. We will see our Maker, our Redeemer and Savior, the merciful and compassionate God. We will see the Holy One, the Lamb of God, face to face. Now that is real face time. Now, I want us to go back to Jesus' words that we started with in the beginning. John 14. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Don't be troubled about the place. Don't be anxious about it. Trust in God. Trust also in me, Jesus says. In my Father's house there are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me so that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I'm going. Now if I stop there, some of us might get a little anxious and go, well, Do we really? Do we really know the way? Well, the disciples were also a little anxious. In fact, Thomas, he asked, said, Jesus, how how can we know the way? We don't even know where you're going. And then Jesus continued and explained. He said in John 14, 6 and 7, I am the way. I am the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really knew me, you would know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. And he, and he stops and pauses there again. And, and we might kind of go, well, what? Father, we know him? What? And Philip this time, same thing. I'm not sure I'm clear. I'm not sure I got it all there, Jesus. Show us the Father and that'll be enough. That'll be enough for us. And you know how Jesus answered? He said, don't you know me, Philip? Even after I've been among you such a long time, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? He said what no Jewish boy would ever say back in those days. That would have been blasphemous. He said, I'm I'm one with God. He said, when you see me, you see the Father. You know, after this, uh, immediately after this conversation, the disciples told Jesus, we understand now 
We understand now. And the reason they, you know what they said? The reason why they said they understood? Because you're not using any figures of speech. You weren't being symbolic. You weren't being figurative. Guys, this is not right here. What Jesus says is not figurative. It's not symbolic. Jesus is saying, when you look at him, you see God the Father. He is the roadmap. He is the compass. He is the path to heaven. He's talking plainly to each one of us. And all the disciples, they said, we understand now. And, and they said that they believed that Jesus was really from God. That's about how far they went in their belief. Three days later, they went a little farther. After the resurrection, uh, Thomas said, well, I'm not going to believe unless I see. Unless I see with my eyes. You know, talking about seeing face to face. Thomas was like, I need to see him face to face right now. I, I want to touch the scars in his hands or I won't believe. And a week later, Jesus shows up and Thomas's belief is transformed. He's not just saying, uh, I believe you came from God. You know what he said when he saw Jesus and touched his hands? He said, my Lord and my God. He said that to Jesus, the man from Nazareth. Jesus replied, because you have seen me, you, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen yet have believed. Guys, I want you to know that those of you here that put your trust and faith in Jesus Christ and you have never seen him, you have the personal blessing of Jesus Christ resting on you because of your belief and you haven't seen him. You've taken a step further than Thomas in your faith. You've believed without seeing. You've believed the testimony of the apostles and what they recorded in the Gospels. You've believed because of that. You have believed because of the testimony of the entire Word of God. You, you read the prophets and saw that. How can that be? Things that were written 800 years before Jesus came coming true and Jesus fulfilling those. You have believed because of the testimony of parents, grandparents, and people who have gone on before you who said, I have staked my life on this. The Lord has done this for me. I know He is alive. He is real. You have believed without seeing. Yet one day, your faith will be sight. You will see Jesus face to face. And that will be very real, very tangible. It's the promise of heaven. And it's what really makes heaven special. Guys, right now, uh, Nate is going to come up and we're going to respond to the Word of God in worship. But I want you to know that we can respond in other ways besides worship. I want you to know that in this moment, uh, if you're someone who's here and you have never said, Jesus Christ is the Son of God. I believe that. If you have never said, I believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross for my sins, not just for those people out there, but for me. If you've never said that, never confessed that with your mouth, the opportunity is right here today. If you have found that God has worked belief in your heart in these moments here, or he's been leading up to this moment and no one's ever given you the chance or the opportunity to say that, I want to give you the chance today. I want to give you the chance to say, I am no longer trusting my own ways and myself. I am now putting my full trust in Jesus Christ. I'm second in life now and he is first. 
He is the commander of my life. I know of him. I know what he's done. And I'm now going to follow him all the days of my life. If that's you, I, when we're up, we're singing, we're all standing together. I'm going to be standing right here. You can walk up, stand next to me. Just let me know that that's what you want to do. You want to make that sort of declaration. And we'll, we'll get together. We'll talk. We'll have some coffee. And, uh, and, and also, uh, you know, if it's something you're absolutely sure about, and God's been leading up to this moment, you just haven't had a chance, you can walk out of here today knowing that He is your Lord and Savior, that you've been restored. The change is going to begin today in your life. Salvation has come to you. And heaven is a place where people who have salvation go to, get to be with them. You won't have to doubt that ever. Let's, let's stand together. I'm going to pray and we're going to worship. Heavenly Father, in these next few moments, we want to honor you as the Lord God, the God who has worked a way for us to be with you, worked a way to save us and make us in your image to image, to shape us into the image of your Son. Being born of Spirit, being born again, starting anew. Lord, for those who might need to hit the restart button to start over again today, Lord, I pray that you give them courage to do it. And Lord, for those who have already done that and are walking with you, Lord, I pray that the joy of your salvation might be with them, that they might be excited about the place that we're going to be meeting you in, to know that salvation is here today and we walk in it and that we don't have to have anxiousness in our hearts about being with you because you're going to be there with us. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.